0: I think we'll conclude today, at least that's the plan, of a short little series we did on Christian graces, and that's in 2 Peter, first chapter of 2 Peter, if you'd like to turn there. Second Peter chapter 1. While you're turning there, I'll read the first eleven verses just one more time to put us in a reminder of what we're preaching on today. Second Peter chapter one reads, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. Through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that has called us to His glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make that you shall not neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. For an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so again, just to put us in remembrance, which is what if you continue to read, you'll see is Peter's purpose here. He's not teaching them anything new. He's trying to help them to remember the things that he's already taught them, the things that we should know about Christ, the things that we should know about ourselves and the graces and the way that we should live. And we remember that this is a like precious faith that we have the same opportunity to have the same faith that Peter himself had thousands of years ago. Nothing has changed. And we are reminded that this is a precious thing. It should be something that's valuable to us and something that we hold very dear and protect. We're reminded that grace and peace, Peter prayed, would be multiplied to us, not just added sequentially, but multiplied or lavishly applied to us. And we get that through our deep or intimate knowledge of God that we can know him, that God is a God who is knowable, that he wants us to seek after him and to know him. That is what he desires. Is what he desired from the beginning was to have an unspoiled relationship with us where he could put us into a garden and have a relationship. And we certainly messed that up. And so Christ was sent to redeem us and restore that relationship. And he still desires to know us and to be known by him today. We're reminded that he gives, has given us in verse 3 everything that we need for this life. Everything that we need. And he's done that through his knowledge and his glory and virtue. And because of that, because of our faith in him, we are able to be a divine partaker, as it says here in the scriptures. That we can have what he wants to give us. Not because it's anything that we earn, but because of his son's sacrifice for us. And looking at all of this together, we're then reminded that because of all these things, we should therefore make haste or be diligent to add the following graces. Now, we spent an entire, uh, almost an entire Sunday morning talking about that little three-letter word, add. And just to put you again in remembrance of what that is, because it will come up again uh, today. That little word, add, is the same idea of joining hands together to do a dance, or perhaps singing a song together, or having a band play. And with it comes with this idea, this beautiful picture, that what's getting ready to be listed, these graces that we're getting ready to remind ourselves of, are not things um, that are, well, as soon as I get all the virtue, then I can move on to the next one. No, they are done together, however imperfectly. That these are things that we should all strive after as believers, that we should uh, develop these, that we should grow in these, that we should spend our entire lives trying to be more patient and have more self-control, to love the brothers in a special way and to love each other. That all of these things are important and that we should add all these things together or supplement them together. And they all uh, hit off of each other. In other words, it's very difficult to have knowledge or spiritual discern- discernment and not have self-control, isn't it? And So all these things build together to a great crescendo for verse 11. And so, again, we're reminded that we should be diligent. We should be, uh, make haste. We shouldn't wait for these things. We should make sure that these graces are within us. But before we get to the graces, we're added, we have this one thing here. What are we adding to? We're adding to faith, as it says in verse 5. And this is assumed that you know and are saved by Jesus Christ, because that is what faith is. And so the assumption here is he's talking to those who are believers, saying those you have faith in Jesus Christ, you've been saved now, as again, as you would all together if you're going to have a beautiful song or a dance or something of that nature, you're going to add these things to Your faith. And he tells us very specifically what we're to add. We're to add virtue. We were reminded a few weeks ago that the world tells us what virtues are is probably wrong. And the world tells us that we should just simply signal virtue. But I said to you, virtue is what the scripture tells us we are and are not to do. And that there is no signaling involved. Virtue requires active work. It's not a passive thing. You're not virtuous if you're passively watching someone be abused, for example, or anything else. So we must be active in these things. We describe knowledge as having spiritual discernment and an understanding of God's will. We pointed out that that word there is actually a little bit different version of the word knowledge. It's used earlier. The earlier knowledge is a one-time knowledge. It's a saving faith and knowledge. But this knowledge is something we can grow into. We can know what we are to do better. We can grow into more knowledge of God. We discussed how temperance or self-control, if you'd prefer, is very important for us. And we asked ourselves the very important question, what controls us? What controls you? Do you control yourself? Does God control you? Do you allow something else or someone else to control you? Do you lack self-control? And the really hard question is, when was the last time you told yourself no? Even when it was okay. We're reminded about patience, which is not a passive thing, just like a virtue. Patience is something that implies endurance. And in fact, your scripture may translate that endurance. And that's a, a good translation that we're going to endure. We're not just going to sit passively, allowing things to happen. We're going to endure, and we're going to grow in these graces and other things as we go through our life. We're reminded that godliness is an observation of the laws of God, of what we should and shouldn't do, and that we should seek to do and to not do the things that God has for us. We're reminded that there's a a brotherly love, a special uh, acquaintance and a special friendship with other believers, and that we are to be encouraged to um, do more of that and to make sure that we love each other, to perform these duties toward each other. And then lastly, we're reminded that charity or love is vitally important as well. Now, I want to do one thing again that I did, I believe, last Sunday that I don't do very often, but I think is appropriate because I can't say it any better than this author did. He described these graces backwards. So listen to this, and I'll just read it once today. He said, In reverse, he who has love will exercise brotherly kindness. And he who has brotherly kindness will feel that godliness is is needful for their lives the godly will mix nothing with patience to the patient self-control is easy and to sell and the temperate weighs things well and so has knowledge and knowledge guards against sudden impulses carrying away virtue And so we see is beautifully described, both going in either direction. We see how all of these work together for a common good, for a common purpose. And so I want us to make sure we set into memory what these things are. And now we come to today to a few important verses, eight and nine. I'll read them just one more time for us. So again, the Bible even does this for us. It tries to set us up. This is Uh, Why you can't always just cherry pick a few verses. You have to read uh, extensively. It says, For these, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither, neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. He has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And so from this, what are these things we're talking about? Well, it's the graces that we just discussed, the graces that we've read, the graces that we've learned about. And what Peter is trying to tell us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that we must remember these graces and act on them for if these things be in you. I do want to point out this applies more than just a a passing thing. It's a question of, are they permanently a part of who you are? All of us wake up one day and don't feel very patient. Anybody else? Not today. I'm feeling pretty patient today. Sometimes we have off days, don't we? We don't feel these. That's not really what this is implying. What this is implying is, are these characteristics, are these graces, something that defines a part of who you are? We're all going to have days and we do better than others. This, the question here is, for if these things are permanently in you, If there's something that's reoccurring in you, a permanence, more than just a momentary existence or a momentary absence, they must be part of our character. Do you have love as part of your character? Do you have brotherly affection for one another as part of your character? Do you have virtue as part of your character? Do you have patience, self control, godliness? These are the questions that we're asking ourselves for. If these things be in you, are God's graces reflected in you and abound? You could use the word again, multiply. Do they grow? Are they overflowing? Are they coming out of you? Are, again, they a part of who you are and how you interact with other people? So if these things be in you and abound, They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be barren or unfruitful? Barren is really referring to a concept of idleness. Again, we come back to this very important idea. Very important. That when we hear the word of God, when we think about all that God has done for us, when we think about that like precious faith that we have, and we think about what Christ did for us, and that we get to share in his victory and be partakers of his divine nature, it should encourage us, it should compel us to action. Not just to sit passively by, not just to sit idle and think about these things, not to never produce any type of fruit, but instead to be active, to be engaged with the world, to be producing the fruit, which are these graces and the virtues we see in Galatians. And so we must remember that we're not just supposed to sit, we're supposed to be active, we're supposed to be fruitful, we're supposed to be growing new things. If these things be in you, you will be active morally active and upright if they increase you will produce more a lot more we just celebrated and recognized our teachers as we should teaching is vital fundamentally vital i had some very i told you before very very good teachers when i was growing up it helped form who I am. And once again, I'm blessed to have a couple of them sitting on the front row. And not just in the way of a parent. But they taught too. And taught me. It's so important that we learn these things. That we are taught to produce these things. To not sit idly by, but to love the Lord and to do his work. And all of this comes, it says, through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it doesn't say that it comes through our own strength. It comes through knowing him. Now, This may sound rather mystical or rather odd, and I hope that it really doesn't. I hope in your life you kind of have some understanding of what I'm talking about here. But you can set out and say, well, I'm going to be virtuous today, or I'm going to be loving today, or I'm going to be... uh, uh, patient and kind. And those things and efforts can be good, but the best is when it comes through your knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, when you really know God for who he is, he compels you and he draws you to do the things that you should do. And so if you have issue with, well, I just don't feel like doing these things. I don't want to do these things. The answer is to what? To know him more. Because when you know him, when you experience the grace and the glory and the virtue that he has, it does drive you to want to do more. And I'm sure there are times in your life when you can sit back and think about where you have been encouraged to do things, where you've sat down to study and find an answer. And when you get done, you feel closer to the Lord and you feel more compelled and engaged and active, where you sit down to pray and to consider things. And then you get up and you realize that God is still remaining with you. And so if any of you feel as though you lack these virtues, these graces, then you need to grow closer to God because it is through our knowledge in him that these are fruitful, that these are productive, that these bring forth things. And then we're given a warning. It says, but he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Notice it says not will be blind, but is blind. Is blind. And the context here is that this is involuntary. It's not that I'm just going to purposely ignore these. It's that I just don't see them. Now, maybe that sounds a little strange, so I'm going to kind of hopefully give you an example that you might be able to identify with. Um, My brother sold shoes for a while. And I remember being with him and he was always commenting on other people's shoes, when we were out in public, or the way they walk, and he'd be like, they need some arch support. And I was like, "Uh, okay. (laughs) I had a friend who did roofing. I remember being out with him one day, and he's like, that roof looks bad. And I was like, okay. Talked to a guy the other day, who sold insurance. What do you think he was talking about? The weather. Very keen to pay attention to the weather. As most of you know, I was a police officer for years, and I worked on night shift, and I really liked it a lot. And I purposely got really good at the things that were needed to be done on that shift. Uh, I took three days of vacation and paid my own way to get extra training in DUIs. And uh, one night, there was a car accident. And uh, to say that I arrived at a very angry mood is to say the least, because this poor fool uh, had driven his three-day-old car into the town bakery. That was a mistake. But I get there, and I got sent, because it was about shift change time, so i just come on, and my sergeant said, go see if you can take care of this for evening shift so they can go home. So I pull up, a friend of mine, we went to the academy together. So we have been officers the same amount of time. And I was about as far away from here to the back door, so 25 yards or something like that. And I pull up. And uh, the guy who was driving the car was standing over there talking to another officer. And so my friend's kind of filling me in with what happened. I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I said, how come he's not in handcuffs? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, he's drunk. He looks at him and goes, well, no, he's not. We checked. I said, well, you didn't do a very good job. So I walk over. He fails the tests. I take him. He's well past the legal limit. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because I got very good at seeing what others didn't. Does that make sense? Even from 25 yards away, I could look and say, "Mm mm-mm, they've been drinking. Just like someone who... puts new roofs on, will drive by and at a distance say, that roof needs to be replaced. Or someone who can spot a shoe and say, that shoe's worn in a weird way. They need some work on their foot. You see, the point of this, when it talks about being blind, when it talks about not being able to see, the question is, do you even know that there's something to see? Or are you so blind you have no idea the graces that you're looking at? Can you spot in someone's life when they're virtuous? Or would it be like you trying to pick out somebody who's drunk from 25 yards away? Or would it be like you trying to tell someone whether they should replace the roof in their house? Or would it be like Brother Dale when he sees somebody and analyzes their haircut because he's a barber? I mean, on and on and on. We all have our specialties. Maybe to bring this a little closer to home, and I'll I'll stop with the examples. You ever gotten a new car and then realized how many cars just like it are on the road? Everybody's probably experienced that, right? Okay, maybe I finally found an example you know what I'm talking about. This is the same idea here. If you're not used to virtue and love and brotherly affection and patience, you don't see it because you don't have an eye for it. So I think part of what we're trying to be encouraged here is we need to have an eye for these things. And the only way we're going to have an eye for it is if we actually do what? Do them. The more that we love each other, the more that we love, the more patience we have, the more godly that we are, the more that we see and identify when other people are doing those things, and we also notice when they're not. And we can notice it sometimes at a distance, because that goes into what we're talking about here. Because the scripture clearly says, he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. In other words, they are nearsighted, which... As a kid and even into well past beyond childhood, that just confused the daylights out of me. Being nearsighted for the younger ones means you can only see what's close. You cannot see what's far away. And so if you can't see what's far away, you can't plan for what's coming up, can you? And so we have some very important things for us to understand. That when you lack these virtues as a believer, you are involuntarily blind. You don't even know that you're missing it. don't even know that you're missing it. And that's a real problem. We fail to possess these graces because we don't have an eye, if you will, or an interest in them. And we are short-sighted. We cannot get beyond what's right in front of our face. We don't see the gospel in the full way that it should be seen. And so sincerely ask yourself, what is your distant vision like? And I don't mean physically. I mean, can you see these graces? Can you identify them in yourselves? Can you identify them in others? Can you go out in public and say, that person right there, they're a believer. I can tell. I can just, I know. And the Spirit will certainly witness and testify. Sometimes we can tell. We need to have an eye for these. We need to have an interest. We need to study them. We need to know them in the deepest possible sense so that we can then live them out, so that we know when we're doing these things and when we're not just like I paid years ago to send myself to a special class just so I could be better at it. You need to read the scriptures. You need to read and study good authors and books who have studied men of God who've been with God. You need to study their writings. You need to be in Sunday school and Wednesday night and Sunday night. You need to be learning so that you can see these things too. Otherwise, you're blind. You don't even know it. The really horrible thing here is that it says here, um, he that lacketh these things is blind. He cannot see afar off. He has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You see, we need to be reminded sometimes and there's a lot of talk and some of it's very rightfully so. And sometimes I counsel people. They get really, really concerned about their past. And there's a certain degree with which we have to go, that was there. And this is who I am now. By the grace of God, Those things are past, and the new is new. But you know, sometimes we need to remember the past, not look back. But we need to remember the past so we can be encouraged to continue in the forward. And I think sometimes we fail to remember just what a miserable state and a wretched person we were before Christ saved us. And therefore, we don't feel compelled to do these things. Because if we really remembered that before we were saved, we did not have patience. We did not have self-control. We lived for ourselves. We were selfish. We were haters of God. If we remembered how God has changed us and what he's changed us into, it would drive us to focus more on what he wants. You see, we forget all too easily that we were changed, that we are new creatures, that we are not what we used to be. We forget that we were completely blind. Do you know anybody who only thinks about what's right in front of their face? Doesn't make plans for the future? Can't think about what's ahead? What happens to them? Scripture gives us multiple examples. They will fall, and great is the sound of it. How much worse for it if we're Christians? how much worse if we're believers that we don't have the vision to see more than a few feet in front of us brothers and sisters we must be very very careful about this which is why peter continues in verse 10 wherefore the rather brethren and it gets even more intimate calling us brothers we shouldn't and basically saying don't do this but instead Dear precious brothers, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. I do want to spend a few minutes here because this verse can be misconstrued and I want to try and explain it as best as possible. So we should not be blind, but we should instead see. We should strive to see at a distance and close. We should strive to know God's graces and His virtues, to know the scripture, to know Him. And This is something we should do diligent. We should do it with haste. And it says to make your calling and election sure. Let's talk about that for just a minute. God's calling is something that draws us to salvation. God calls for all of us. He wants us all to be saved. And his election is his salvation. But I want to point out, God is the one who calls and elects. It's not me. It's not my choice. It's not something that I have sought after. The scriptures clearly tell us that. No one has sought after God. God calls us and we must respond to him. And so when we understand that, this verse makes a little more sense. To make your calling and election sure. Sure to who? Sure to ourselves? Sure to God? Are we telling us that we have to prove to God how good we can be for him to accept us? The furthest thing from the truth. If I had to prove to God my worth and my love for him, where would I be? Right back where I started. Probably worse. I can never, ever, ever be good enough for God to accept me. Never. He is so loving, and the world and the preachers want to tell us all the time, well, God loves you just the way you are. Well, he certainly loves you, but he loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. And if there is no growth in your life, he wants there to be growth. But listen, to make your calling and election sure, how do we know that we're saved? How are we sure that we are saved? Is it only because we do these things? Well, what if last week you weren't patient? Does that mean you're not saved? Not in the least. Not in the least. Let's make sure I can try and make this clear. To make sure is a guarantee or to protect something that's already been true. To make sure is a guarantee or an effort to protect something that's already true. You see, this is written to those who are saved. Those who going back into the verses in verse uh, four, I'm sorry, verse five, we're adding these things to our already established faith. But we need to make sure. Well, how do we know that we're saved? Hmm. that' a good question. I had this discussion just last week with somebody. Don't you wonder why some of this isn't more clear? You ever, you ever asked yourself that question? Why isn't this spelled out, A, B, C, do this, this, and this? And you know, one of my answers was, I think that's part of the reason I believe it's true. Because if I was writing something called the scriptures and knew with all knowledge that someday there are going to be little church fights about this verse and that verse and interpretations about this, I'd have made it more clear, wouldn't you? It's all the more reason I think God actually did it. Because he wants us to seek him, to follow after him, to strive after him. And you know what? I'm not right about everything, and you're not either. But the goal is to strive and to know him and to spend time with him and to understand it. It's what the students will want from me on Mondays, me to tell them exactly down to the word count what I want from them. And they get really upset when I don't do it. But there's a reason I don't do it. Because they're better off for it. And so we should learn to struggle with these things. We should learn to strive after them. We should learn to do these things. But brothers and sisters, listen to what I am telling you. This is not something that says that we have to have these things, therefore uh, we're saved. What it is is telling us and ensuring us if these things are in your life permanently, then you have been saved. Do you love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you have a love for others inside of you? Do you at least, are you upset with yourself when you lose self-control? I hope so. Do you have these graces and virtues living inside of you? They are proofs that you have been saved, that you have been changed. God wants us to know him, and he wants us to be confident in that, and he wants us to pursue a closer relationship with him. It's like I said, these things grow. They're all interconnected. They're things that we should do. And they are proofs that our calling and election is true. Proofs that God loves us. Proof that I have my faith in him. Proof that I am willing to follow him. Not perfectly, never perfectly. Boy, is that a desire and effort in my life. And then we're reminded, if you do these things, you shall never fall. See, that word fall is actually, um, and maybe in your translation, talks about tripping. So let's think about these things uh, in context. We read them backwards and talked about how if you have uh, love, then you're going to be loving to your brothers. And if you're loving to your brothers, you're going to be patient with them, right? And if you're knowledgeable, you're going to be wise about not losing your virtue. All these things go together, right? So if we have good vision, if we live a right life according to these graces, there are fewer things for us to trip and fall over. Make sense? Because we can look back in our lives and realize when we've made wrong decisions, when we've lied to someone and then forgot about it and then got caught, right? That, that's tripping over that. When we have been uh, short with someone and then that's given back to us, that's, that's tripping over ourselves. You with me? And so when we uh, live our lives according to these graces, according to the way God wants us to, there's less things for us to trip over. Notice I said less. I didn't say none. Because any of you who've lived any amount of time, you will know that even though often you did nothing wrong, boy, is there an obstacle put in your way. But here's the second part of that. If you can't see very far away, you won't even see it when it's there. And so twofold, we had the power of God working for us. One, if we live a right life, I believe we will have less things to stub our toe and trip over. And if we have good vision, as in we know these things and are striving for them, and we can see in the distance, we will see the pitfalls, we will see the rocks, and we will do what? We will avoid them as best we can. Doesn't mean you'll never stub your toe. We are living in this life after all. We are sinners saved by God's grace. But listen, especially young ones and even those who have more experience, listen to what I'm saying. If we would simply live out these graces, we will have less things to trip us. And if we would simply have the vision for what is coming, and that is our faith and relationship in Jesus Christ. If we would have our eyesight about us and we would be aware and looking for the path ahead and following him, we'll have even less. To trip over. Make your call in an election sure. For if you do these things. You shall never fall. And so understand. I want to be very clear. I do not believe that what we're doing here is saying. Well if you live this way. Then you're saved. That is not what I'm saying. It is impossible. We will never ever be able to do these things. So we must be active. We must be growing in these graces. We must perform these ways. We must not trip over things. And so again, it's implied that we're affirming your salvation with these qualities. Peter is addressing those who have faith. As I said in verse 5, the foundation quality here. Just in case you're curious, we'll go back to verse 9 for a second. But he that lacketh these things is blind. You can still be a saved individual and lack these things. You can be saved and blind. But is that what you want to be? Wouldn't you rather see? Wouldn't you rather grow in your knowledge of the Lord? Wouldn't you rather be able to see the things that you're going to trip over in your life ahead? Wouldn't you be able... Wouldn't you be better off to be encouraged to live rightly? It doesn't say, but he that lacks these things is going to hell. Why? Because you have faith. And so it is our job, once we have faith, once we are believers, to then grow and produce these things in our lives. Do you see the connection? I don't want anyone to leave misconstrued, thinking that um, what this means is not what it means. We are and should be driven as believers to live these things out. It must be more than mere lip service. It must be more than an hour or so a week at a church. Or I give money to the church. Or I'm a member somewhere it must be our love for him which compels us to do these things we must be sure of our calling and election first john 5:13 says i write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of god that you may know that you have eternal life do you know as i've said recently Do you know that you know that you know? Do you know that you have peace with God? Do you know that you have faith in the Lord? If you do, those things should compel you to live a life worthy of what he did for you every single day. What happens at the end? Well, verse 11 tells us a little bit about this. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly, to the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, now I already gave away a little bit of the ending when I first started this five weeks ago, and I told you that that word "ad" that I just mentioned meant to dance to hold hands, to play together is the same word that 's used here and King James is translated minister it 's the two of the three places it 's found in the New Testament, and I told you then that what I believe that Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to get across to us, is that for those of us who are saved, the goal is to enter into heaven having all of these graces working in accordance with each other, holding hands, if you will, singing a part Harmony song, marching all in step together, whatever imagery you can come up with, that we all enter into heaven and that we get to do it finally in perfection. Won't that be nice? Won't it be nice to never lose your temper again? Won't it be nice to always be godly? Won't it be nice to never trip over something to have perfect vision to know the beginning from the end is to know when we get there that there is no beginning and their end. It is eternal. I can't even fathom that, but I'll get to. You see, this is the great reward. This is what Jesus Christ afforded for us by his sacrifice that I will get to enter into the kingdom of heaven and once and for all, my sinful body will be gone and I will then be able to live as he lived perfectly as Jesus Christ modeled grace and virtue and perfection in everything that he did. I will finally know that precious faith and I will never have to struggle to do these things again. Because they'll be added unto us. And maybe, just maybe, that idea of a dance is purposeful. As two would join hands to dance, so we get to walk into the kingdom of God holding hands, perfectly in step with the one who made us. Perfectly added to perfectly ministered, perfectly richly bestowed or supplied all of these things abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord. Now, I want to encourage you for a minute, and I want to explain something that I think is, I think is true. I mentioned that the, I think here the scripture supports the idea that you can be saved and not be very good at some of these. Some of us really struggle with some of these. Can't lie. Can't say, I don't struggle with some more than others. You can be saved, not be the most patient person. You can be saved and struggle to love other people. But I think the goal of verse 11, I think the object of the reward is something we should shoot for. We should aim for. In other words, We don't want to just barely get into heaven. And by that, don't miss me. I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not talking about salvation. You're saved, you're saved, and you're saved till the end of time because God sacrificed himself for you. But wouldn't it be better to walk into heaven saying, boy, I tried my best. God, I failed every time, but I really loved you and I really tried. And I think and I appreciate that you revealed to me that you gave me the vision to see, that to see where I failed, to see where I needed to do better. And I tried every breath I could to love those who you gave me. I tried everything I could to be patient. I tried to be godly and I failed, but Lord, I tried. And I'm going to walk into heaven hand in hand with you and with Jesus and finally get to do it in perfection. I'm just trying to run in the last minute. And we have listened to, you have heard, if you've been here, testimonies of people who have wasted a majority of their life only to find themselves at the end and realize they were missing these and other things in the scripture that they should do. They know that they were saved at a young age and they wasted their life until they were older. And boy, do they wish they could get that back. And so, the point of all this, knowing that God will usher us into perfection, ought we not now be compelled to live a life worthy of the calling that He has given us? Do you not have a drive and a desire to love Him? As Peter reminds us in chapter 3, verse 11, seeing then that all these things be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? See, nothing else really matters. When you finally see correctly, when you're not just short-sighted or far-sighted, when you have perfect vision and can see the things that are in front of your life, when you are putting these things in line, then it directs everything in your life so that you can march into heaven with your Lord and Savior, be ushered into perfection. Thankful that He taught you. Thankful that for all the hard times that God had to teach you patience, that he did thankful that he modeled love thankful that your conscience would tell you when you're not being virtuous thankful that he gave you the perfect model of virtue and glory and all these things brothers and sisters we have so much for us to do we have so much knowledge that we should pursue we have so much uh, self-control and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and love I don't know that I'm expressing it well or coherently, but what I want us to try and see, and I'll just try and say it one more time, and I promise I'll shut up. The point of all of this that, again, Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us is that there is a God who loves us, who sent his son to die for us because we were separated from him. And when we, in our faith, come to be forgiven from our sins, we then share in the nature of what God wants to give us. We can know him and be known by him, and we can live according to the rules and the laws that he wants us to. It carries with it the same idea. You've heard preachers say this before, no doubt, that if someone was to save your life, you would feel eternally indebted to them, wouldn't you? Well, guess you saved your life. And guess what he wants you to do? He wants you to know him. And by knowing him, by spending time with him, you will be more like him. His laws and his commands are really not that hard. All they're difficult to do when they're trying. But I wonder... I wonder, how many of us are willingly blind? How many of us have come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ and have not put any thought toward the future, have not put any account toward whether we're living closer with God, whether we're patient and kind and knowledgeable and godly? Brothers and sisters, it should be our goal. It should be our drive. It should be our desire and everything that we are. Why? Because he saved our lives. It's so important that we remember these things. I'm going to read you this passage one more time. I want to close this way. of a different translation. So I just want you to listen. I want you to think about the things that you've heard. I want you to think about what God has spoken to you softly in your heart, this sermon of the last or in between. And I want you to Listen. And if God hasn't revealed to you exactly what he wants of you, then I want you to really ask yourself this question. Lord, what do you want me to hear from this? What do you want me to change? Who do you want me to be? To those who have received and possessed by God's will a precious faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace, that special sense of spiritual well-being be multiplied to you in the true intimate knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. For his divine power has blessed us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has bestowed on us his precious and magnificent promise of inexpressible value. So that by them you may escape from the immoral freedom that is in the world because of disreputable desires and become sharers of the divine nature. For this very reason, applying your diligence to the divine promise, making every effort in exercising your faith, develop moral excellence. And in moral excellence, knowledge, which is insight and understanding. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, steadfastness. And in your steadfastness, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly affection. And in your brotherly affection, develop Christian love. That is, learn to unselfishly seek the best for others and to do things for their benefit. For as these qualities are yours and are increasing in you as you grow toward spiritual maturity, they will keep you from being useless and unproductive in regard to the true knowledge and greater understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted, closing his spiritual eyes to the truth, having become oblivious to the fact that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, believers, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Be sure that your behavior reflects and conforms your relationship with God. For by doing these things, actively developing these graces. You will never stumble in your spiritual growth and will live a life that leads others away from sin. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly provided you. Is that a set of instructions or what? Is that a message that comes from someone who loves us and wants our best? Is that a call for us to know him first in faith and then for all of us who do know him to follow after him and to live our lives worthy of what he's done for us? Yes, yes, and yes. Are you wasting your life? a very serious question. If you've never come to have faith in Him, then you're absolutely wasted. And if you have, if you've come to Him and you are one of His, then the question is, how are you living? Worthy of the calling? Worthy of the sacrifice that God has given you? Are you growing? Are you sitting still? And I cannot answer that for you that's what the lord does that's his spirit it will poke you in the right spot it's a great saying sometimes and some of y'all used to tell me this from time to time talk about the preacher stamping on your toes what do you do if someone steps on your toes you move If I've been preaching for the last few weeks and every time you feel like I'm stamping on your toes, first of all, it's not me. Second of all, maybe you should move your foot. Maybe God wants you to do something or to stop doing something, whichever way it is. Whatever it is he wants you to start doing or stop doing or continue doing, you need to act. And you need to do it as it says several times in this passage with haste. That means right now. Don't put it off. So let's have a hymn. Time to reflect. The uh, altar is open down here. What does that mean? That means you can come down here and pray if you'd like to. You can pray for anything. Pray for salvation. You can pray for yourself. You can pray for someone else. This isn't the only place you can pray. Sometimes it's helpful and sometimes maybe not. But this is here And this is an opportunity for a time for you to reflect and talk to God. Listen to what he's saying to you and to begin to talk.